Hello and welcome to episode one of Battling with Business with me, Chris Kitchener. And me, Gareth Tennant. I'm a product manager. For nearly 20 years, I've been building software and the teams that make software. I've led teams of different sizes, from small scale-ups through to the largest enterprises, and have learned the hard way what it takes to make teams work. And I'm a former Royal Marines officer who led very different kinds of teams. And during my career, I specialised in surveillance and reconnaissance. Whilst my job used to be about finding out what the adversary was doing, I now use these skills to support business leaders in the art of decision-making in complex environments. And in this podcast, we're hoping to explore ideas and concepts around teams and teamwork, leaders and leadership, and all things in between. We'll be comparing and contrasting experiences from our military and business lives and try to work out what make teams, leaders, and businesses tick. Now, every week we're thinking about what drink we might be having, and I suspect that we'll be doing lots of these late in the evening after our families have gone to bed. But for now, given that we're recording this in the afternoon on what is frankly a pretty grey day, I suspect today's podcast is sponsored by a nice hot cup of tea. Excellent. So, Chris, uh, why are we interested in starting a podcast? Well, I suppose before we, we, we sort of dive into that too much, I think it's probably worth talking a bit about our backgrounds because I think that has a relevance about why we, one afternoon in a pub, we came up with this idea why it might be interesting to share this. So I think you've, we've given our sort of top level one sentence CV of who we are, but perhaps you could go into a bit more detail. Gareth, who are you and why might you be interesting to listen to? Sure. Um, so I, as I said, I'm a for, former Royal Marines officer and um, I started my career like most Royal Marines in uh, what we call close combat, um, which for uh, those who don't have a, a huge interest or knowledge of, of military terminology basically means um, I was an infantier um, doing uh, dismounted, so not in vehicles, um, close combat fighting through um, terrain buildings whatever um, as an officer I was leading teams doing that um, and then I specialised um, at a, uh, a certain point in my career in intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance um, which effectively means finding things out uh, in order to help commanders uh, and operators make decisions in combat um, and that led me on a sort of journey where I became less and less enamoured and interested in the technical aspects of fighting um, and operating in war zones and more interested in the processes around how we make decisions, how we interpret information, how we find things out. Um, and of course, in combat situations, you're trying to find things out when the, the adversary, the enemy, is trying to hide or obfuscate information. Um, and I became really interested in those things uh, and sort of went on this journey. So uh, about five years ago, I left the Royal Marines and have since then um, really focused my interest in how people generally make decisions um and how those decisions affect the way teams operate the way that organizations operate um and how we can try and be more effective in life and in business um in a world where things are constantly changing and are constantly uncertain well that's really unfair i definitely don't think you should have gone first because anyone who's a badged up raw marine combat tours in Afghanistan, trips in Somalia. My story's really quite dull, but I'll, I'll try and make it as, as cool and as least nerdy as I can make it. So one of the, there's the, the whole point of this podcast is that crossover between sort of the military experience and the military way of thinking and the civilian way of thinking. But I, I have to put my cards on the table. For a, for a grand total of three years, I was in the Royal Navy training to be a navigator and so the reason why I bring that up is I, I, I went to uh, the Dartmouth Royal Naval College and so leadership was something that even as a very junior young sort of trainee officer we talked about so actually as I've as I've sort of gone through my career I've got lots of friends who've been in the military and so I've come into contact with a lot 
And as I've gotten a little bit older, what's been really interesting to me is seeing those military people as they become from sort of junior officers through to the mid-level to actually the more senior officers. So maybe that's going going a little bit ahead of things, but that connection has always been interesting. But after the Royal Navy very cleverly discovered that I was a terrible helicopter navigator, accidentally one day flying into the wrong country. There's a story <laughs> for another episode, perhaps. There. Right, okay. Um, actually, leaving the military, um, I started getting into the IT world, and that was my other love, being a nerd with computers. And one day, through various reasons, I was lucky enough to become one of these things called a product manager. And product managers, it's quite amusing because nobody knows what we do. So if you say you're a product manager, generally you get people saying something to do with computers. And you'd be pleased to know my family still doesn't know what I do. But what is my job as a product manager is um, for a variety of businesses, starting with companies like Adobe and, and, and more latterly companies like Thomson Reuters, we sit down, we talk to customers, we understand their problems, and then we work with a, a group of groups of talented software engineers to actually go build software to solve the problem. And if that doesn't resonate with you, the last time you went online and did online banking or you went onto your mobile phone app, somewhere in the background there was a product manager that, as it were, owned the design and the building of that app. And so that's what I've done for many, many years. I've, I've worked myself as a product manager and then more latterly with other product managers to do that. And the bit that sort of brings us full loop is that I'm now at a position where um, I actually spend more time building and leading teams of product managers than I do actually doing the product management bit, which is sort of writing stories and telling engineers what to build. And that, this idea of how do you build a team and how do you, how do you solve those day-to-day -day problems, particularly from my perspective and my experience on the enterprise side, that's what kind of took us to where we are today so I've been doing that now for uh, 17 years I think it is and um, I definitely don't claim to be some brilliant leader and frankly being a leader in product management is not interesting but I've done this every day for a long time and it's super interesting to me to understand what that means so anyway there's a bit of our background so Gareth why are we now sitting in your office in front of a a microphone thinking that it might be mildly interesting to uh, to record some of this yeah that's a, that's a great question um so before i answer that firstly we definitely need to put a diary marker in to explore you flying into the wrong country because that is a story we need to look at um <laughs> i've got plenty of other stories of my incompetence i'm sure those will come up too um it, it's really interesting because you went on a journey of being uh, all about the technical stuff, the software, and then as you progress through your career, have become far more responsible and interested in managing and leading teams. I've kind of done the opposite. So I joined the military knowing that I was going to be a team leader. Leadership was definitely um, one of the key things that was being drilled into us when I went through basic training. And then I subsequently went on a journey where I discovered that in the 21st century, in the digital world, it's also all about data, and therefore you have to have a proficiency in um, in digital skills. And so we've both kind of collided, I think, at this point where we've got one foot in the digital skills world and one foot in the leadership culture management world. Uh, and I think that's why we kind of decided to, to do this. Well, and I... I... <laughs> We're sort of getting ahead of ourselves in terms of the why, because there's a story about late nights in pubs and annoying mm. our families. But I think what's really interesting is you talking about it coming from the leadership to the technical, me from the technical to the leadership. I think it's this constant carousel of these two things working together. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and I know this is a topic that we're going to talk about later, but um, I I'm constantly telling my team members who are product managers who want to be better at being a product manager my my belief is the the skill and the competency of being a product manager you technically you learn most of that very on in your life so for example a product manager has to write stories stories tell engineers what they have to build them up to bit that's all fine 
actually for me I'm telling more and more of my product managers that's a that's a third of your job the rest of your job which no one talks about if you describe the individual pieces there's lots of things like communication and influence if you take a step back actually it comes to this topic of leadership and teams and the, the entire topic of sort of this podcast which is how do you be effective and the other thing that that I get I get overly excited about these topics is these concepts it's very easy to think that oh, leadership and team these are only for the sort of the higher level leaders the top echelons who have to think clever thoughts the reality is I think these concepts and ideas are just as applicable for the most junior person who is starting out for them to be effective as it is for the more senior folks. I think that's a really interesting and important point, um, and it's one of the reasons that we quite often talk about these things, and, and hence why we've decided to, to do a podcast, is I think there is probably a lot of information out there, um, and a lot of discussion, and there's probably plenty of other podcasts talking about leadership, um, but there tends to be this tendency of focusing on the leader, uh, and putting people in positions of power in that um, on that pedestal, I suppose. Um, and I think your point about it being applicable to everybody is really, really important. On my journey, I obviously started out being you know, told that leadership is a really important part of command, about uh, being an officer in the military. And of course, we do talk about junior NCOs and you know, everybody's position within the leadership um, of the organisation. Um, but there's very much a focus on leadership. Um, and I suspect in the commercial world, there is more of a focus on management um, and leadership comes later. I think in the military, we focus on leadership, perhaps actually at the detriment of some of the managerial skills and the management skills. Um, but I think for me, there's a third element, which the military talk about, that the commercial world almost never talks about, which is command. And I'd like to explore that and the relationship between command, leadership and management as we go through these podcasts. Well, just just before we go on, because I think we, what we should talk about is why we think this podcast might be different or at least might be interesting in a new way. I want to go back and pick something up, which is this is a this is a bugbear of mine where so much is written about and talked about in terms of leadership in enterprise. Mm. I think that's a lot of fluff. I think we find people who are successful, describe what they do, declare that to be leadership, and I think that's bad. As I've gone up in my career, so I've you know I've been in product management seventeen years. I've had a grand total of perhaps twenty hours of in inverted commas training. Of that twenty hours of training. Probably 18 hours was a bunch of stuff about how to have awkward conversations or how not to do bribery. <laughs> and the leadership stuff was really thin. So actually, I would posit, I don't think on the whole, I'm about to offend a lot of people, anyone is trained or told how to be a leader. In fact, I'll go one step further. I, I'm lucky enough to work with CEOs and, and peers at my level who report into CEOs. And the question that I think is really awkward and it's the, the the question that dare not be asked is who trains ceos to be ceos yeah and and i think that by the way there is an answer whether or not i believe that answer is a different yeah. thing but the answer is it's the board of directors that they work for that mm. the, but honestly much more oversight than training isn't it? exactly yeah. and i think so i think the military starts with this concept of leadership and has a very visceral relationship to leadership from day one to use a dreadful analogy how do you get a group of people to go into danger and be shot at there's, yeah. there's a lot of leadership there in the civilian world in sort of the enterprise world i just don't know that there's that visceral need for leadership and so therefore leadership is almost a bonus rather than a thing we focus on and talk about and develop and expand. And I, the one thing I should say as well, and, and, and I'll, I'll say this and I think you should talk about why we think this is different, which is um, 
I don't know how to do leadership. Actually, that sounds wrong. Otherwise, what's the point of having this? I am. St- I spend a lot of time thinking about it. I spend a lot of time thinking what, how can I think about doing things better? How can I improve? For me, part of why this started is because I am fascinated about this concept of how do you get better? And I think the point is, I've had, you know, this is this is the first time we're recording something. This is not the first conversation with Gareth and other people to try and get it better. So if you're expecting answers or you're expecting Guide to be a great leader, I bet there's a ton of other fabulous podcasts with some really fantastic, often American speakers. <laughs> That's not what you're going to get here. So come on, Gareth, why, why, why is this different? Why yeah. isn't this just a leadership podcast? So... Interestingly, where you've just spent the last few minutes talking about why perhaps the commercial world needs to focus more on leadership, I would say the military needs to focus on other things. We focus a lot on leadership, um, and you've highlighted you know, the, the leading teams into dangerous and uncertain situations. So it is a hugely important aspect of creating organisations that can do stuff. Um, but I think we over-focus on leadership and we, cre- we, we create this myth of leadership at the detriment of really understanding the dynamics between leadership and culture, which is huge, um, and something that in the military we tend to go, oh, well, if you're a good leader, you'll have a good culture. And, of course, that's complete rubbish. Yeah. And, and there is this dynamic between the two. Um, and the other thing is, and where this is perhaps different from some of the military podcasts around leadership and around command, um, is there's this sort of myth that when you hear ex-military people talking, either in you know um, public speaking or writing books or or on podcasts, um, they tend to either talk about military leaders as being grand strategists. You know, the senior generals that somehow through some combination of you know, brilliant insight and massive intellect can outwit the adversary. That, and, and you have this kind of idea of two opposing generals over a chessboard. Um, or the, the heroic leader who charges up the hill just, with I'm, his men following. I'm twitching because <clears throat> you're outlining And, and the reality is those two kind of ideas... Are, are a bit mythological and actually good um, operations are not the result of single acts of bravery or single decisive moments they're the combination of lots and lots of tiny decisions made by lots of people across organizations I think I think that thing about the myth of leadership just you were saying that I was bristling because I think it's so true we pick as I mean I said it earlier we pick people we go you're successful you must be a good leader and I think it, I, I just this week as I was working I described what we were doing as a team as a street fight. And I think that's that perfect balance between it's not this grand strategist. I don't sit in a room with a bank of dials and make move piece to A7, none of that. It is you have to have the right values, you have to have the right principles, you have there's a thousand things that declare whether we as a team will be successful or not. And myth, I haven't got time for myth. In fact, myth makes me really quite annoyed. People say, he's a great leader. I'm sure we'll talk about this in the future, but Steve Jobs as a great leader, rather than I'm about, I mean, arguably I could offend 50% of the world by saying whether he's good or bad. I think the point is there were some things he did which were frankly dreadful and terrible leadership. And other things that he did were really great. Yeah. As as leaders, rather than make it oversimplified, it's those individual pieces. Anyway, we still haven't answered the question. No, so why is this different? If, I think everyone's heard it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, absolutely. But why, what is it we're trying to get I, at? I think there's a risk, of course, now that we are selling this podcast as a, a conversation about leadership. And it's far more than that, of course. Um, and I think we've, we've spent a long time now talking about why leadership isn't necessarily the focus. This is going to be different, hopefully, 
because we are going to explore the relationship between things like new technologies and how they're changing the world around us and the way that we interpret and understand that world, which obviously impacts on the way that we make decisions as individuals, as organisations. We're going to talk about culture, we're going to talk about um, command, management, leadership, um, technology, uh, and then the things in between those. So rather than this being a leadership podcast or a technology podcast, this is about how do you create organisations that perform better. And I, I think the, the, the bit that that started this off, I mean, I made reference earlier on to sort of time in pubs. What I think started us thinking about this and started this conversation was that comparison between how the military thinks about these things, because the military is a business. It has a slightly different outcome for many others, but it has a business. And so we would start to talk about that and say, well, I mean, here's a, here's a really interesting question. If you were to describe enterprise and the military is one reactive and one a planned organisation. And we'd spend a whole two hours arguing <laughs> the, the opposite's point in terms of, well, hang on a minute, the military is very good at this, but perhaps not as good at this and, and vice versa. So I think it's that it's that comparison of how the how enterprise thinks about these things and the military thinks about these and the crossover, which actually I think is the really interesting bit, and perhaps it'll be different. I also hope this is something which um, I I feel quite strongly about. I'm here's here's a guilty secret. I don't read lots of books, as in I do, but they're terrible books or they're <laughs> history books. What I don't read is a lot of books that, for example, talk about some of these subjects. What I can do is I can bring real-world stories. And I think for both of us, yeah. that was what was always interesting, was it wasn't just a case of I read in a book once someone said. It was last week I had a member of my team walk out and how am I going to solve that problem? Yeah. Or, And I think I think it's, it's that combination of real-world experience and stories and a recognition we might not have it right in fact. It was, it was definitely the storytelling in the pub, wasn't it, that started this idea. I do read a lot of books. In fact, no, I don't read. I listen to a lot of books because I am horribly dyslexic uh, and I read very, very slowly. So I tend to use uh, audiobooks and I do listen to a lot of books. But I deliberately... Um, I don't really listen to fiction. I only really read or listen to non-fiction books. But I try not to only listen to um, management books or leadership books or... Um, those sorts of things. I do sometimes, and I've listened to uh, some of the um, you know, really um, sort of well-understood books or, or sort of popular leadership and management books. But I also try and listen to a broad range of topics. Um, and I think this is something we're going to discuss and have discussed in the past, um, is the, the value of having a broad experience yeah I, a broad base of information I, I, and, it's funny when i when i talk to people I, I remember when i was uh starting out and i had a manager who read lots and lots of sort of self-help books and uh, one day he asked me what my advice to him was because he had this sort of spirit of openness and vulnerability all good things he said to me what should i do less of and i said read self-help books go be a leader and learn it for yourself yeah. so i i it, it, i have to be very careful here in a way i'm not proud of not reading the books i think there's a there's there's this time though as well right well but there's there's more there's more fundamental years ago i was in a in a uh, on a management course, wherever it was, it, this was years and years ago, and the guy presenting the course, who the company had spent a lot of money on, was asked um, what success was, like what's life success, and this guy had spent a, a whole day teaching everyone to be brilliant leaders and all this kind of stuff, and he, someone said, I want to, someone on the course was asked what was success, and he said. I want to play 
whatever musical instrument it was, and travel the world. And this guy laughed and said, you don't understand. Success is a mortgage, 1.5 kids and a silver Mondeo. And he meant it. Wow. And, and at that point, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, exactly. And at that point, there was this, this feeling of, I'm really nervous about listening to other people who were declared experts in this yeah. book. So there's this, there's, there is this funny relationship for me and books where... Um, a perfect example is um, in my world, there's this thing called lean. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that yeah. as a, yeah. an approach. And out of it came this term called MVP. If you're in the software product world, you'll hear the word MVP. And I came to hate that term. What does it mean? Ah, so I'm glad you asked. MVP stands for Minimum Viable Product. Okay, I have heard of and that. I'm, yeah. And I'm going to... I'm gonna. We'll come back to that in a second. But the problem was, people kept saying, oh, have you read Lean Startup? It talks about this thing called MVP. And it became a weapon. And, and subsequently, I found out the definition that everyone was using was not the correct definition. In fact, I read the book and put the book down and went, this is brilliant. Yes, I agree with it. It's not what everyone's talking about. So I have this really interesting relationship, which is... Perhaps a better way of saying this, I'm not sure I trust information where I have no concept of whether the person who wrote it has done it for 20 years or whether the person who wrote it has done courses yeah, teaching sure. for 20 years. So I maybe I should be less proud of not reading those books. Maybe I should do a bit more of that. Well, than... there's definitely something in um, the the veracity of the information and that's something yeah. we're going to come on to because of course we now live in a world of misinformation fake news there is a barrage of or a torrent of information that is out there and how do you know what is yeah. you know, believable and what's not but i think importantly it's worth recognizing that just because something isn't right or isn't right for you doesn't mean it's not valuable and so i deliberately try and read books that i you know when i hear about it and go well that's complete rubbish yeah, i will yeah, read the book right. so that i can you know from a position of authority then say yeah that was rubbish or even more often because i you know i'm very judgmental um have my mind changed and so I've read books where I've gone, this is going to be really rubbish. Um, and then I've finished and gone, yeah, I still think it's rubbish. Or I've read things and gone, wow, that's opened me up to a whole new way of looking at things. And that's really useful. I, I mean, I, I think, again, we, that the whole point of this was to talk about what's the sort of the purpose and maybe values of this podcast. I think there's a really key value that we've we've sort of poked around, which is this idea that if you think you know all the answers that's probably the worst answer you could have. In other words, yeah. you know, the the another value of, of the conversations we had down the pub was for us to sort of be open to the idea that there were other possibilities, be open to the idea that maybe we didn't have the, the answers or maybe the answer we had yesterday is no longer the right answer. And so whether that's with other books, the thing I, I, I really love doing and I... I, I the fact that we're doing a podcast is lucky because I have been told, stop me if you haven't heard this, I'm quite verbose in what I say. I do a lot of talking. But actually, I've, I've come to terms with that because by talking to other people and engaging with ideas and exploring them, that's where the, you, you, I have these aha moments which really stretch out to me. Anyway. Absolutely. And I think one of the things we're going to do on this podcast, of course, is have guests in who are going to be far far uh more experienced and and probably better in their fields than we could ever be and we're both very fortunate that we have a relatively good network but both very different so we're going to hopefully bring on some really interesting people to right. talk to from both military backgrounds the commercial the academic world and then just the weird and wonderful people who, who think very differently and have a different life experience i have a suspicion that's why people start podcasts it's not because they think anyone cares what they're talking about it's because it's an excuse to get interesting people to come talk to them yeah definitely <laughs> that seems yeah. interesting well look, so we've, we've 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 i think we've delved into 
why we think we thought this would be an interesting topic or sets of topics for podcasts. We talked a bit about our values and our background just to give people a little bit of a, a sense of what we might talk about in the future. Gareth, come on, what might we talk about in follow up, follow up episodes? What have you got? Okay, so I'll, I'll kick this off then. Um, I think there's a really important conversation to have around language that we use um, and trying to flesh out what people mean by terminology. Um, and one of the things that I find at the moment is really um, sometimes done very well and sometimes done very badly, but, but often it's one of those two things and you have this dichotomy of either... Um, doing it for the sake of it or really using it for value is purpose, mission, uh, and identifying the values of an organisation. Um, and when it's done well, it sets the tone to allow the organisation to work. Um, and we're going to talk a lot, I think, about um, managing uncertainty and, and all these sorts of things and you know, how leaders do things and you know, we'll lots of subjects around uncertainty if you have a very very clear value structure um, and you have a very very clear purpose and everybody in the organization understands that then it's far easier to deal with the uncertainty and the change from outside the organization so i think we're going to explore that a bit you've you've just described every executive off-site I have ever been in where we talk about plans and activities and then it, then I'm being a little bit unfair. Towards the end, someone says, we should think about what our mission is because we should tell people. And so I, I love, I mean, th- this is a, th- there's a massive crossover here. I agree entirely, which is if people know what we're trying to achieve and understand the purpose and the mission, inevitably they are going to be more successful. So I think that's good language as well this is a a constant thing as a as a product manager that we're always talking about getting language right well that 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 was your first one and i think what we're picking is is a couple of topics that that we're almost burning to talk about i've got a next one so yours is sort of at the the highest level of the organization in terms of purpose and and goal my my one or the next one I want to talk about is is a very very tactical and low level one, which is what I would refer to as personal narrative. And by the way, there are lots of definitions, and I know Gareth, you've you've got sort of a different slightly different definition of personal narrative. But for me, personal narrative is this idea of as a member of a team, how can you be most effective? And what I mean by that is, how is it that other team members see you and not just team members but but people within the organization i have i'll i'll tell stories about my earlier times in the career where i was really quite sad because i'm sure i should have been put on these cool projects and great things and i didn't understand why why perhaps i wasn't because i was capable and you know those and so this idea of um how do other people see you and how does that impact your effectiveness Maybe I haven't explained it very well, but that for me is a really, really interesting topic. And one again, when when I share that with people, there's lots of light bulb moments about how it's how that actually matters in life as much as work. Yeah, I think that links quite nicely to um, Adair's balls, which is Adair's model of leadership, isn't it? The three overlapping um, you know, circles in a Venn diagram of team, task, and individual. Yeah. Um, for me, the word narrative, as you said, you know, means something slightly different, um, or, or perhaps not different, but expanded, um, because I think there is the personal narrative, and then I think there is also the organisational, the group narrative, oh. and that again is something we're going to absolutely. Look at. Um, there's, I, I've mentioned it a couple of times already. There's something I really want to start exploring, um, which comes very much from the the military world, which is this idea of command. So we talk about leadership, we talk about management, we will obviously in in later podcasts talk about the definitions of those things which are I think quite contentious Um, or or at least there isn't a settled definition. Um, But command is not talked about much outside of the military world but I think it's absolutely crucial to getting leadership and management right because for me leadership is about getting people to do stuff 
management is about prioritisation of resources, whether that's time, people, stuff. Um, command is about the allocation of authority, responsibility and accountability. And unless you have that structure very, very clearly established and you know where the limits of your responsibility are, you know what your accountability is, you know what other people's are, it's very, very difficult to create those trust relationships. And so when we get on to conversations about <coughs> empowerment and delegation of decision-making, yeah, if you don't have a command structure, which I think to the non-military listeners, um, yeah, when I say command structure, they're probably thinking rigid hierarchy. Well, I, I but mean, it doesn't have to be. There just has to be an understanding of what that structure is. So I want to explore that a bit more. I, I mean, I suspect this whole idea of command in the enterprise world is it exists, but it's hidden and not understood. I love the idea. I, I, I'm, I'm going to guess there are people who hear the word in enterprise, who hear the word leadership and nod, who hear the word management and nod, and who hear the word command and go... We're not in the military, you yeah. know. I think there's. I think. I think command it, is a dirty word. And it's absolutely not about discipline or I, shouting. I, com- or, I completely you know, agree. Well, it's funny if you said to someone in the enterprise world, "racy," because you know all the buzzwords. People, no one blinks at racy if you say mm. command. So I think that's a good one. What, what else have you got? I, I I'm, I'm cheating because I think I know what you're going to say next. And this one, oh, oh, I. Talk for hours about this. What's yeah, your next absolutely. So again, I've mentioned it already, but it's that link between leadership and culture, um, and, and and I think this is where we in the military have a huge amount to learn from the corporate and the commercial world, because there is this overriding assumption that if you're a good leader, you will have a good culture, and and if you you know, engender good leaders, the culture will be created. But of course, culture isn't something you manufacture. Culture is something that is, by its you know definition, cultivated, but has external influences. Um, people join organisations with their own biases, with their own experiences, with their own cultural traits, and so it's a constantly evolving thing. Um, and I ended up doing a um, a master's degree in intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance management, which is probably one of the most niche master's degrees you can do, and therefore kind of pointless. Um, I'm sure there's lots of people <laughs> in academia banging their heads on the table. How can he say Yeah, but, well, you know, I, I think the purpose of a master's degree is not to necessarily, you know, become specialist in the subject, but learn how to learn. I'm sure that there was, is some, that was quite useful. I'm sure there are some generals in the Ukraine going, pretty useful for us, you know. No, maybe. Yeah, but, uh, that was a very bad Ukrainian it, It's accent. not getting me a lot of jobs in the commercial world being good well, at, you know, managing I mean, the, the, drones. On the culture, um, the, 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 I, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to declare the prize for the worst cliche of the podcast, which is um, a culture eat strategy, because I know you wanted to say that first. Yeah, gonna... okay. Drucker. Yeah, absolutely. So it, that is really important. Oh. And, and what it doesn't mean, and it gets misunderstood, I think, a little bit, uh, is yeah, when you say culture eat strategy for breakfast, it's Peter Drucker, wasn't it? Um, it doesn't mean culture's not important. Uh, sorry, it doesn't mean strategy's not no, important. No. What it means is you can't do strategy if you don't have a good handle on your culture. Um, and, and that links into, you know, we are definitely going to talk about strategy and the link between leadership and strategy. And, and there's a whole lot to unpack there. Uh, of course, strategy is a military term originally. Strategia, strategios, from the ancient Greek, meaning the art of the general. God, but I think his, it's been really Greek. twisted out of, uh, you know, any recognisable definition by both the military... Uh, and there's all sorts of craziness going on there, which we will unpack. Um, but also in the commercial world, where we use oh. the word strategy just to mean plan, and that's not well, the it, yeah, we'll, we'll get on that. My, just before we leave on the uh, on the on the culture one, I always enjoy the so what kind of a culture do we want to have? Because I always think, isn't that sort of horse uh, stable leaving? Yes. I don't think you get to define your culture in the future. I think you can. You can talk about what you'd like, but when you have to say what kind of a culture would we like, you're missing the point. You already have a culture. Yes. So anyway, definitely. Well, look, so a couple more from me. Um, and th- this one, actually, I don't know whether we need a whole uh, a whole podcast on this or actually, frankly, multiple discussions. What makes high-performing teams? I mean, that's that's pretty easy. 
Anyway, um, <laughs> no, I mean that one. Yeah, yeah that, sorted. But 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 th- this I think touches on one of those concepts we've said, which is it's it's like baking the most fabulous cake you've ever had. You can use the same ingredients, but used in a slightly different way on a slightly different day with a slightly different cooker can make a rubbish cake or the most beautiful cake in the world. So this idea of high-performing teams, there's a whole stuff there. And I think with high-performing teams, of course, you you look at small teams in the military, there are some really, really good teams that have a very, very good culture that repeatedly, operation after operation, perform at a very high level. Um, and then there are organisations that don't do that. And and so the military is not an example of how to do this. The military is a, a whole domain that can be explored about where it's gone well and where it's gone badly. Well, and I, we'll do that. I, I, I want to discuss also the difference between large and small teams because I see this all the time. The, the, the cliche here is when we were a small team, we could do this in a week and now we're taking a month. This makes us a bad team. Well, well hang on a minute. Let's talk about the differences between small and large teams before you start making these sort of... Yeah. comments about what is good or bad and that well, comes back to the point about narrative because we had a conversation a couple of weeks ago about small teams and leadership in small teams being about honesty and transparency and, and doing the right things by leading by example and yet in large organizations that isn't enough because people don't see you oh. and there's a whole lot of stuff there that we're going to talk about montgomery we're going to talk about montgomery going yeah we disagree on montgomery so we'll have to explain well, I think I think here's the danger that we'll end up agreeing with one another. So the more we can find to disagree with one another, that probably makes it more interesting. Yeah. But the next one for me is again we we picked ones that we were particularly passionate about, and the next one, uh, this is I bet there's a book title of this, which is Empowerment and Psychological Safety. Brilliant. Ne- never mind the title. When people say to me, uh, "What is my role as a, a as a leader in the product world?" Uh, my role is to have to give vision, to help form strategy, to provide constraints, and then this is the important bit: empower my people to go away and be successful in this. So, yeah. this concept of empowerment is so 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 important. It's important as a person who's a member of a team. It's important as a leader who eternally is going, "I'll do it myself because it's quicker," or "I understand it yeah. than everyone else." Yeah. And the psychological safety, which more and more people are talking about, the idea that I don't want you to be afraid of failing, but I think it's still paid lip service, which is you need, I mean, this is probably another cliche as well, people need to fail to learn. And so they need to feel safe and they need to know I am going on this journey and my leadership or my leaders or my teams are supporting me. So empowerment and psychological safety, I think, I think it's one of those ones that really stands out to me, that if you do this well, the team will deliver results that you would never be able to deliver on your own, as it were. Oh, God, there's so much to unpack there. So there's um, you know, the, the value of teams over individuals, so diversity oh. and the value of that in decision-making and overcoming challenge and uh, uncertainty. Um, but I think the, the key thing for me there when you talk about empowerment and um, allowing you know, subordinates to make decisions and you setting the tone, setting the vision, um, just reminds me of Mission Command, which for, again, the non-military listeners, Mission Command is a, a tenet of um, you know, the Western way of war, which is this idea of you don't tell people what to do or what you want them to do, you tell them what to achieve. You give them an intent. I need you to you know, achieve this. How you do it is up to you, and then you might apply some limits. Um, and mission command is something that came out of, um, and you, you, if there's anybody that will be um, who speaks German, I apologise for massively um, garbling this, but it's Oust. Auftrag uh, Taktik. I think that was right. Auftrag uh, Taktik. Yeah, which which comes from the Prussian military at the end of, um, yeah, off the back of the Napoleonic Wars, where militaries were too big 
to manage by a general sitting on a horse firing out you know notes written notes to to tell people what to do and they had to create ways of large organizations reacting and responding to changes where one person the commander the general can't do it all um so empowerment and psychological safety is so important and i think it's becoming you said it's becoming talked about more often now i think that's because we're starting to recognize um that the environments that we operate in change and there's a whole lot there that i'd like to explore in terms of planning in uncertainty so um there's you talked earlier about um hearing somebody on a course i think talking about uh efficiency uh and you know um what do you call it mvp mvp minimum MVP. viable product yeah so uh, which which speaks to this idea of being efficient and we do talk about efficiency a lot but efficiency is only useful if you know what you're trying to do because otherwise, if efficiency is your driver, what you end up doing is cutting away all the fat, which is where you learn, um, and you become efficiently wrong. Um, and there's um, Daniel Kahneman talks about this in his book, Noise. He talks about the idea of being, you can be accurate and you can be precise. They're not necessarily the same thing. So precise is about hitting the target. Accuracy is about your grouping being close together but you can be accurately imprecise where you're not hitting the target and if the target's moving and by that i mean if the environment you're operating in is changing if the customer's demands are changing or the way that they interact with your product or service are changing and you are just being efficient you will end up being efficiently wrong. Oh, we, we, so there's a whole lot of stuff well, we're going to talk about. I, I was going to say, I mean, I think that the, the challenge with this is the, the these topics are so wide-ranging because we could talk about the fact that, that the term MVP, some have said it shouldn't be that, it should be minimum viable experiment. And what it's talking about is this idea of these things change and you should iterate down the way. But, yeah. but, but what is that? Now, there's the last one that I know you're going to talk about, and I like this because it sounds ridiculous. And it <laughs> sounds like it's a military thing. Oodaloops. So, oodaloops. Yeah. So, so what is an oodaloop and why should we care? Cool. So an oodaloop is a conceptual way of thinking about how you make decisions. And it stands for observe, orientate, decide act so very simply you observe a situation you orientate yourself to it by referencing to previous experience you then make a decision about what you're going to do and then you act now th that's very simple the the person who came up with this was a, a guy called colonel john boyd who was a u.s air force pilot in the korean war um uh, and we'll we'll go into a whole load of the detail behind it. But he generated lots and lots of thinking behind this concept, and there's far more to it than just simply that. Well, one. I mean, I I think at the moment we have the the perfect from a military perspective example of the OODA loop, which is the conflict in Ukraine at the moment. That the Ukrainians arguably have to use the phrase you're going to use or steal it, which is got inside the Russian OODA loop. In other words, <laughs> the point we're making is. You, you talk about this loop of activity. The goal is for you to get ahead of your opponent. Yeah, because of course, master. if you act whilst the competitor is still in the observe or orientate phase, or even in the decide phase, you change the situation and therefore they need to reobserve, reorientate. And if you can do it fast enough and make big enough changes in a competitive environment, and that's something we've got to unpack. Um, but in a competitive environment, if you're changing the environment faster than somebody else can observe it and orientate, they spend their entire time trying to make sense of what's going on and therefore not giving direction about what actions you, to take. You've, I mean, this this sort of leads us... We started with OODA loop, which is a very military term, and mm. you know, military aviators use this and, and tacticians use this. You've just described competition. Absolutely. How do you yeah, and, yeah. and and going back to a point you made earlier, which is the the while leadership is this, I think I think it's fair to say it's a it's a really important recurring topic. But actually, the spider's web of the things it touches 
talking about competition is really interesting. There's 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 going to be a podcast there, which is what does competition mean in in enterprise, and how do you think about it and stay ahead of it? Yeah. I'd love to hear what competition means in military terms. I mean, obviously it means the enemy or the people, but I I suspect there's 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 the perfect example yeah. of what does competition mean in enterprise? What does competition mean in military terms? How do they relate? How do they different? And yeah, how can absolutely. one learn from another or adapt to another? Because turns out business is really good at it. Turns out military or vice versa. Yeah, so there's, there's so I, I think we, we've been going on for 50 minutes now, so we probably need to draw this to a close. But final point would be um, that point there about how are they the same, how are they different? And... Gordon Gecko in um, what's the film with uh, Wall Street? Wall Street. Gordon Gecko holding up Sun Tzu, The Art of War, and this idea that business is, is like a military war um, is a hugely overused cliche. And actually, what's more important is to understand how these things are different. Um, and actually, a lot of the concepts that come from, you know, what is a clash of arms? What is the use of violent force? isn't relevant in a boardroom and is sometimes quite a negative thing. So I think we need to talk about that as well. Oh, but, but we're going to endlessly talk about this where these are not relevant but relevant at the yeah, same time. Yeah, exactly. discussion so, is the important thing. They're discuss- that's exactly right. If, if, and I think sort of if, if listening to this, people don't necessarily need to learn anything, but it's the conversation that really matters. If, if this stimulates yeah. an idea, it starts a new train of thought, then that would be victory. So with that in mind, what are we going to talk about on the next episode? Uh, well, I think, you know, it was the first on the list. What are organisations, their value and purpose? So I think let's let's tackle that one next time and spend a bit more time focusing and unpacking that. Brilliant. I look forward to it. Well, that's about it for this episode. Thank you for joining us. If you've liked what, you're, what you've heard, please tell your friends about it. Um, we'd love to hear uh, what you think. We'd love you to join the conversation. Uh, and we'd love to hear your stories, ideas, or suggestions for topics. So you can follow us um, and ask us questions or suggest topics um, at our Twitter handle, which is battlingwithbiz. Biz, biz with a Z, Zulu. Um, but for now, that is it. So goodbye. Thank you very much and goodbye.